The following podcast contains explicit language. So did you see like 2012 coming? Uh, no, <laughs> that, was, that was definitely a disaster by all, all measure. Why do you think it went the way it did? You know, I'm not, I, 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 don't, I, I still wonder that question. It's, it's still a debated, uh, debated topic when we, you know, get together, you know, a golf event or a charity event or alumni, alumni game. I've, I've tried to just uh, blank that, blank that season out. So. Oh, okay. So <laughs> am I bringing up, am I bringing up, uh, bringing up old shit, man. Do you care? No, no I don't care. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, you were playing fine. It was just, um, there's no question that the Eagles 2012 season was a disaster. Up until that point, Andy Reid had bounced winning while keeping a firm thumb on his team. There was always some drama, like contract disputes, rogue personalities, his family life. But Andy managed to weather those storms and was able to get back to the playoffs. 2012, though, was different. It was, it was not good. We all knew what the situation was, you know, that everyone's going to get fired, you know, or, you know, at the end of the season, at least, best case scenario. Jason Babin was right in the middle of it. He was a hellraiser for sure, on and off the field. But he was brought in to do a job. And by and large, he did it. It was just that he and the assistant coach he came here with wanted to do it their way. Nothing went great, you know, and, and then we just couldn't get synergy going. There were plenty of reasons for anyone to want to blank out the 2012 season. But Jason Babin, Jim Washburn and the wide nine defense were among the more prominent reasons why everything fell apart. Everyone just started, you know, turning on each other and, and the situation just, just frayed beyond repair. I'm Jeff McLean. I'm the Eagles beat reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And this is Uncovering the Birds, a Philadelphia Inquirer and KOW News Radio original podcast sponsored by Wawa. Episode 7, The Assassin. Jason Babin was a lot of things. Brash and in your face, but thoughtful. He gave off bad boy vibes, but he was also a loyal family guy. He always had strong opinions. People, it's funny, is even now, it's, I go to these charity events or put events together for myself and have other NFL guys that I played against that just didn't really know, you know? And they're like, dude, you're a great dude. I'm like, I thought you were an asshole. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe I was an asshole on the field for sure, but uh, yeah, off the field, then I got your, I got your back, you know. You may recall him running around like crazy with the big tribal tattoos running down his arms, but he was relentless, and he never gave up. Look out! The ball is loose, and it's picked up by the Eagles, and it's Jason Babin with the sack, creating the fumble and a gigantic turnover. Here's the thing about Jason, the football player. He was really productive. He had 18 sacks with the Eagles in 2011, the third most in team history. We were the assassins, you know what I mean? That's what we were, we were training coach to do. Jason fit the role to a T, and he had the wide nine defense to thank for it. There couldn't have been a better scheme for him. Downhill, ears pinned back, hunt and attack. The wide nine was... Um... It's basically just having outside alignment with the intent to collapse, you know, the, the distance between two edges. You know, two guys on the outside, you know, attacking from an outside alignment, compressing, you know, the, that space, you know, forcing the running backs to run in, a, you know, a very narrow gap. How did this end up going so wrong? 
How did someone this good become like kryptonite to Andy Reid's culture? The seeds of doom started to get sowed in the winter of 2011. By the end of the 2010 season, the Eagles started to plateau. They made the playoffs three straight years, but were bounced in the first round. So Andy was looking for a change, and he fired a very young Sean McDermott as his defensive coordinator. By that point in Andy Reid's tenure, his coaching Rolodex had run thin. So Howie Roseman, who had been GM for just one year, knew that Andy liked this one scheme called the wide nine. Back then, if you wanted to run the wide nine, there was one coach you called to run it. I told Andy Reid one time, if you hire me now, it's going to be collateral damage, and he didn't understand. That was Jim Washburn, wide nine guru, and former Eagles defensive line coach, in a radio interview on The Zone in Nashville in 2017. Andy might not have picked up on what Washburn was saying when he hired him at that time. By the end of the next year, he probably wished he had listened to Washburn's warning. But it was understandable why Andy and the Eagles were interested in Washburn. He had done wonders with Javon Kurse and Albert Hainsworth, and the year before, in 2010, he had transformed Jason Babin from a journeyman into a terror. Wash is a interesting dude. What were your first impressions of him? Well, for me, it was it was normal. You know, you gotta keep keep in mind. I grew up on uh, on the job site as a kid. You know, I remember you know, hearing things and you know, and uh, those kind of characters is you know when I was in single digit years. You know, it was so to me. It was just like uh, it's just it's normal. To say that Jason Babin was raised on construction sites is pretty spot on. He grew up in Paw Paw, Michigan, which has a population of just over 3,000. That's smaller than some high schools in the Philadelphia area. It was a good place to grow up. I spent a lot of time outside in sports. I mean, there was not a terrible amount of uh, commerce there. We had quite a bit of farms and wineries, construction. Outside of that, there wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't a terrible, terrible lot to do. Jason's dad was an electrical contractor, and he spent a lot of time with him. Jason was exposed to a lot of the trades. Most of all, he learned the value of hard work. But like Jason said, there wasn't a lot going on in Paw Paw, so that also gave him some time to get into some trouble. I was a mischievous child. I definitely got in a lot of altercations, fights as, as a young kid all the way through uh, school, but sports were kind of the, uh, the outlet for, for that for me. What were some of the scrapes you got into growing up? Honestly, they were just they were just fights. And back then, like fights were fights. Yeah, like they were uh, bad was, dudes. Was, and you you were yeah, a bit of a badass. Yeah, like, oh, that biker looks like he's talking shit to somebody. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see what he's saying. You know, so I would um, interject. And with my wrestling background, it was because uh, they didn't have they didn't have um, MMA back then. Or who knows? I might have might have went down that route. Jason was a very good athlete in high school. He played football but his best sports were wrestling and throwing in track and field. When it came time to making a decision about college, though, he stuck with football and went to Western Michigan on a scholarship. It wasn't until the summer of his sophomore year that he started to take football seriously after he had a conversation with his head coach. I'd cut out, staying up late, drinking, spring break, all the fun college things. The mindset paid off. Jason had a great finish to his career. Everything came together. His skill... The work ethic he got from his dad, his willingness to take on fights and not back down, he was now on the radar screen for many NFL teams. The uh, 
27th pick in the 2004 draft acquired from the Tennessee Titans, the Houston Texans select Jason Babin, defensive end from Western Michigan. Well, Jason this, Babin, uh, he, you know, Western Michigan, so didn't play against the, 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 the classic uh, competition. And I think he has a tattoo the length of his entire back, okay? So now the longest tattoo in the league in the NFL, drafted by Houston. Quick, bro. Very quick, right? Jason was in Houston for the first three years of his career and played fine. The team was pretty terrible, though. It was a mostly forgettable experience for Jason, except for one part. Losing really got to him. And it changed the way he looked at things, specifically himself. He felt he had to grow up, and he started not to care about what people thought of him. It's not that I didn't give a fuck. It's just that I don't really care about your opinion. I, I feel good about the decisions I'm making and how I'm living my life and the choices I made. Not, not all of them are going to ever be right. It's just not how I chose to live my life. And it was a, it was a conscious decision, obviously, after you know becoming an adult and after things not going the way I wanted them in, in Houston. I'm like, well, this is how I'm going to live my life, you know, and I'm not going to have any regrets about it. Jason was traded to Seattle before the 2007 season. They cut him the next year, and he was willing at the end of that season to play for a dreadful Kansas City team just to put good film on tape. The Eagles noticed, and they signed him to a one-year deal at the beginning of the 2009 training camp. I knew what I was up against. I was just glad to be there, be in the mix, and and, uh, keep working on my craft. Babin made the team. He played in 12 games and had two and a half sacks. They knew where I was at. I just hadn't proved it yet. I mean, it was a conversation we had. And they said, hey, would you come back? We were open to that. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm open to whatever. You know, I just, in the day, just want to play football and, and want to play, you know, downhill the way I've been wanting to play since uh, I got in the NFL. The next door that opened was in Tennessee in 2010. He signed a one-year deal and was with his fourth team in three years. But Jason was now playing in a defense that was more of his style, the wide nine. The mastermind behind it all? Tennessee defensive line coach Jim Washburn. And that spring, he helped change Jason's career. I'm sitting in his office, you know, it's getting kind of that time where like, all right, kind of to make it, you know, like, we doing this? We're not going to do this. I want to have a, just wanted to have a conversation man to man. And I said, hey, where do I stand? All I want is an opportunity, a fair opportunity. If I'm the best player by, you know, a fair margin, then I want, I want the nod. Just, just tell me straight. He's like, no, if you're the guy, you're the guy. Jason found out real quick that he and Washburn spoke the same language. Straight to the point, no BS. Jason loved it. This was familiar. This was comfort. This was the sound of his childhood. The construction site. He and Washburn were two peas in a pot. This is how Washburn spoke about Jason in his radio interview with the Nashville Sports Station in 2017. He's a going dude now. I mean, that's, he's a psycho. I'm telling you what now. Jason Babin is all about it. I'm good at reading people. You know, if they're giving me, telling me what I hear, bullshit me. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I think I had an opportunity here. It was all the fuel I needed. In Washburn's Y9, he was unleashed. They formed a partnership and would both go to Philadelphia the following year. But little did they know what had been set in motion and how they were on a wild ride that would end guns a-blazing like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. We'll be right back. Wawa Rechargers are energy drinks for everyday doers. 
with the directors of Dog Walks and the best in class at getting to class. You're hitting the ground running one playlist at a time and getting your steps in. You're out there every day waking up and doing stuff, and that takes energy. So whether you're going out or staying in, Wawa's new rechargers are handcrafted energy drinks to help you power through your day. Get energy for every day with new Wawa rechargers. I'm Jeff McLean, and this is Uncovering the Birds, sponsored by Wawa. It was week 12 of the 2011 NFL season. The Eagles were in Seattle, and they were an absolute mess. Eagles are about to become a 4-8 and eight football team, and this season, that's what they are. The final score, the Seahawks 31, the Eagles 14, and the long trip back to Philadelphia just got longer. Obviously, uh, all in all, um, we've got to do a better job as a football team. I'm in charge of getting that done, so time's yours. Andy, did you think the necessary effort was there out of your players? Yeah, I thought the guys played hard. I just, you know, we didn't, you know, we got to make sure they're in position to make plays and then make the plays. Do you feel like you're getting the full investment from 1 to 53? I mean, do you feel like everybody's invested in this season? Yeah, I do. I I feel like everybody's in. It was clear the 2011 Eagles were no dream team, like Vince Young described them as during training camp. Of the new guys, Jason was one of the few to deliver on the Eagles' investment. It was his first season back with the Eagles after his Pro Bowl season in Tennessee the year before. He was a big reason why the Eagles showed signs of life down the stretch that season. Back goes Matt Moore. Here comes the rush. He is sacked, and it is Jason Babbitt. First and ten, back again. He's rolling, he's hit, he fumbles, and it is recovered by the Eagles. The hit by Babin, and that could seal it. Line of scrimmage is the 27. Here comes the rush. He fumbles the football. It's picked up by the Eagles. The hit by Jason Babin, and here is the turnover. That combination of Babin, Jenkins wreak havoc every week. I remember at the end of that season, I wrote a feature about Jason, and Jim Washburn agreed to an interview. He invited me into the defensive line room, somewhere I had never been before, and it was eye-opening. Let me read you an excerpt from the story. Sitting in the defensive line's meeting room at the Novacare Complex, his lair of sorts, Washburn ran film of his linemen getting after quarterbacks as he turned up Jimi Hendrix's machine gun. Look how good this goes together, Washburn said. Hendricks laid down a lick as Sam Branford took one from Trent Cole. The room is set up like a small home theater, but it's really Washburn's office. Motivational sayings and various artwork are splattered on the walls, the refrigerator, wherever. I also remember there being posters lined up of each quarterback the Eagles would play that season and their head in the crosshairs like in a scope of a gun. Jason and Jim loved their guns, and it was something that bonded them together. I remember Washburn telling me for the story about the time he went to Babin's Texas farm and they were shooting automatic shotguns. We were just blowing the shit out of stuff, and it was so much fun, Washburn said. So let's get back to the 2011 season. The Eagles finished on a four-game winning streak. They went 8-8 and and just missed the playoffs 
As for Babin, he was awesome. A revelation. He continued to flourish in the Y9 system under Washburn. His 18 sacks were third most in the NFL, and he was named to his second straight Pro Bowl. That individual accolade was, personally, was nice for me, just because, you know, I felt like it, it gave me some validation and, you know, but at the same time, like, I would have traded, you know, the 18 for, you know, Super Bowl ring in the day of the week. But the four-game winning streak that happened at the end of the 2011 season, it was kind of a mirage. It masked the missteps and failures that had been set in motion over the previous year. Here were some of the big issues. Problem number one, they hired a defensive line coach first. That meant whoever took the coordinator position was going to have their hands tied. In the case of Washburn and the wide nine, it would be a lot. Problem number two, none of the top candidates they interviewed wanted the coordinator job. It took forever to find someone because no one wanted to run someone else's scheme. Problem number three, the new defensive coordinator ended up being the old offensive line coach, exclamation point, Juan Castillo, a loyal Andy Reid assistant. Asante Samuel, the Eagles' former Pro Bowl cornerback, was the first player I got on the phone to ask about Castillo. He hadn't heard the news, and when I told him about his promotion, his response was, the offensive line coach? To this day, it remains the most baffling decision Andy Reid made in Philadelphia. Fourth and final problem, it was evident that many of those big, splashy 2011 Dream Team signings weren't working out. Jason was actually the first player the Eagles signed during that 2011 spending spree. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. I mean, and on paper, sure, it looked, uh, it looked great. I think there was probably just a little too many square pegs round holes. At the start of the 2012 training camp at Lehigh University, the Eagles were ready to put the last year behind them, and were looking forward to a rebound season. Then, there was tragedy. Morning. I have some heartbreaking news to share with you all. It's with great sadness that I tell you that Garrett Reed, the oldest son of Coach Reed, was found dead this morning in his room here at training camp. This is a tough morning for all of us in the Eagles family. Coach has spent the morning informing his family. We ask sincerely that you respect... That was Eagles general manager, Howie Roseman, on August 5th, 2012. Garrett Reed had died of a heroin overdose. He was 29. Jason Babin said he was confused by the whole thing, especially how fast Reed returned. It was tough, you know, and, and confusing, I think, for, for some of the people, too, because it was like, um, I think he's torn, he was torn, you know, like, I have responsibility to the team, but I have responsibility to my family. And, and I, was, I was close to the son because, um, you know, I have uh, kind of a soft spot for, you know, guys that are, you know, just troublemakers that are still good people at heart, but try to, you know, on the right, right path. So I would always check in with them. We go to lunch together. We had some, we had some one-on-one -on -one time. I was always in his corner. That was kind of like the beginning of the, the end, I think. Despite Garrett Reed's death, the Eagles actually got off to a solid start in 2012. Four weeks into the season, it could have been worse. The Eagles were three and one, and if you went all the way back to the end of the 2011 season, they had won seven of eight games. Then reality struck. This is a 34-yarder for the game. Ball is spotted. The kick is away, and the kick is good. 
First came a last-second loss at Pittsburgh. Steelers sink the Eagles, 16-14. Then an overtime loss to Detroit after the Eagles led by 10 points twice. A devastating, devastating loss. Very quickly, the Eagles had become a ticking time bomb. This is as bad as it gets. Even though he worked his butt off and his heart was in the right place, Juan Castillo was fired after the loss to the Lions. It just blew my mind that, you know, they put him in that position. And, and, and I still talk to Juan to this day. You know, I, I love Juan. You know, even when he was our D coordinator, I, was, I still loved him, even though I didn't, didn't like what he was doing. You know, I, I, yeah, it was, hard to, it was hard to, like, be critical of him because he's such a nice guy and he had so, so much passion. No one worked as hard. Yeah, just, just didn't have the, the, the defensive knowledge to make those adjustments and understand what guys can and can't do within the scheme, you know, to make those small adjustments. And they just, just didn't have that. Castillo was replaced by Todd Bowles, who is now the head coach of the Buccaneers. But Jim Washburn was still there, and that would become an even bigger problem. The Eagles continued to give up points, 30 to the Falcons, 28 to the Saints, 38 to the Cowboys, 31 to Washington. The wide nine wasn't working, and Washburn was the next target. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus on this, but, I mean, there was, there was numerous debates about this, you know, how it needed to work. Can you right? bring me into one of those meetings, like, you know, these discussions that were being had? <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was basically like let's, we're arguing over very small, minute details, which, you know, the small things are the big things. But we could never get on the same page. So it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do that way. But it was just, it was bullshit. You know, like, still going to do what I want to do. My group's going to do this. Yeah, yeah, we got it. We're going to do our thing. Jason and Washburn had become the poster childs for the Y9 and its failures, both externally and internally. And they were the type of people who didn't back down. Jason started to simmer. I didn't hold my tongue on my opinions and how I felt about certain things. So probably, <laughs> that probably didn't help either. I knew the high stakes I was playing, if that makes sense. What do you mean, uh, the high stakes? What do you mean by, by that? Well, I mean, having a, a vocal opinion in the locker room about topics that uh, involve the direction of the team and livelihoods of many, many men, and not just saying, you know, yes, sir, can put you, uh, put you at risk, you know, pretty quickly to being, all right, we'll see you later. By Thanksgiving, the Eagles had lost six games in a row. Tensions between Andy Reid and Jim Washburn were boiling. You saw the relationship just absolutely zero out between him and Andy. You could just sense the tension when they were even nearby each other. Why do you think that was? Um, well, I, I think Wash definitely spoke his mind in a very unfiltered way with strong adjectives. And I don't think Andy really knew how to combat that from day one of Wash being there. Like, I, I honestly think that um, in hindsight, Andy th maybe should have interviewed Wash a little, little more and spend a little more time with him before we hired him, I could almost guarantee if you ask Andy, all right, be truthful now. If, do you think you should have, you know, hired, hired Jim or spent a little more time interviewing him to know what you were getting? Does he fit into our culture? I think he would have found his answer is no. Not saying that Coach Wash is a bad coach. I just think that he just did not fit into, you know, Andy's culture. And Andy has a very specific culture. There's a, a very specific hierarchy for his ecosystem to work. And when you interject too much of the, the, the not right thing, and I'm not going to say wrong thing, just not right, that's what you get. You get a fucking disaster. 
In his first go-around with the Eagles in 2009, Jason was viewed by reporters as approachable and a go-to quote. By the end of the 2012 season, that relationship had soured. I remember you, like, you'd walk in the locker room and you'd have, like, a, a cup of tea and uh, you'd walk to your locker stall, like, and we'd be waiting for you and you'd take your time and then, <laughs> all right, you know, drinking your tea. It was, you know, like, yeah, it was, it was me, almost it was like, a, fuck you, guy. <laughs> yeah, it was just, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a very passive aggressive, fuck you. <laughs> Jason knew his days were numbered. I just, I just didn't care. I'm like, listen, I'm at the point in my life where, this is, I'm going to live my life the way I'm going to live my life. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work for you. And I'll, I'll go home. The week after Thanksgiving, the Eagles suffered their seventh loss in a row to Carolina. Jason's production was declining, and he was increasingly going rogue on defense. On top of that, he clearly wasn't getting along with Andy Reid. Andy Reid made a statement. He cut Jason. Jim Washburn talked about that dynamic in his radio interview in Nashville in 2017. They cut him right before they fired you. Yeah, because Reed told me, he said, I hate him. Why did he hate him? Because he'd just run his mouth and stuff. And I don't know. I loved him. He's like, he's like my guy. During my recent conversation with Jason, I asked him if he ever got that impression, that Andy Reed hated him. I don't hold any animosity anymore towards him. Not that I, you know, had the right to or should have, you know, he was, he was the, he was the, he was the team cap. He was the coach. He was making decisions and it was his way. I wouldn't pass an opportunity to, to break bread with him, even though like he may hate Jason Babin. I would, I would definitely find it interesting. Washburn lasted just one more week than Jason. The Eagles fired him after a loss to the Dallas Cowboys in week 12. It was their eighth loss in a row. This was Washburn's side of the story. I know the press didn't care for me. One writer in particular, I was an antichrist in Philadelphia. So anyway, I got fired before games to go. And that was sort of a bitter pill for me to take. And you feel like you were the antichrist to everybody or just that one runner? Well, I don't know. I was made out to be that way. But, uh, I mean, they said stuff about me I never said, you know, so I don't know. It's very possible that I'm the reporter that Jim was referring to. When he was fired, I made multiple attempts to reach out to him but he never responded. Recently, I reached out to Jim to see if he wanted to participate in this podcast episode about Jason. He turned me down, but he sent this text. It was a privilege to coach him. He played with his hair on fire. He loved the fight as much as anybody I've ever coached. He threw his body around with no regard for his safety. He was a football junkie. Loved studying and practice. Great family man, an American patriot. I love that guy. Warrior. And then he ended it with an American flag emoji. So Jason was gone, Washburn was gone, and the Eagles finally snapped their losing streak at eight against Tampa Bay. They would then lose their final three games to finish, 2012 at four and 12. Andy Reid was fired the day after the season, and the era was over. If you broke 2012 up into like seasons, you know, like spring, summer, right? Fall, winter. You look at it and it was just like, oh, spring didn't start well. Then we had summer. We're like, okay, it looks like it's going to be a good summer. And all of a sudden it rained every freaking day of summer. It just, there wasn't a, a component where you can say like, hey, that season went great or that portion of the season went great. Camp weren't great. Preseason went great. 
nothing went great, you know, and, and then we just couldn't get synergy going. Everyone just started, you know, turning on each other and, and the situation just, just frayed beyond repair. Jason Babin still had a few years left in him. He played for Jacksonville the next year in 2013, the New York Jets in 2014, and then split time between Arizona and Baltimore in 2015 before retiring. Life after football sounds like it's been good for him. He's checking off some of the personal items from his bucket list, like climbing the seven summits of the world and running with the Bulls, like Jason told me he wanted to do as a player, but the Eagles didn't allow him. He's also got his own realty group in Jacksonville called Red Zone Realty. He likes to work a lot, and it suits him. He gets to put all of the trade skills he learned from his dad to use. But at his core, he's still very much the same guy. He's got his own way of looking at the world, his own set of beliefs. And if you don't like them, fine. At the end of the day, we're all trying to solve the same, the same goal, right? We're trying, to, you know, we're trying to fix all the topics that are bad. I just think sometimes we disagree on how we go about fixing those topics. That's what we're really discussing. Shouldn't be that we don't want to stop crime. We don't want to stop violence. We don't, you know, all those things. Of course we do. And when you have two logical people having conversations from different sides, that's what we're discussing. You know, that's kind of how things have gotten lost over the last, I would say, you know, eight years in the uh, in this polarizing uh, environment. Polarizing is a pretty good way to describe Jason's time in Philadelphia especially at the time of his departure. But since then, there's been this growing idea that everything about him was bad. That he, Jim Washburn, and the Wide Nine were one of the primary reasons why that team and Andy Reid did so poorly. But that's not accurate. There were plenty of other reasons why the 2012 team failed and Andy Reid's tenure in Philadelphia came to an end. There were a series of poor personnel decisions. There was coaching turnover. There was a new dynamic in the front office. They struggled to replace Donovan McNabb at quarterback. And there was just a general feeling that maybe it was time for a change. Andy had lost his grip on more than just one player and an assistant. Jason Babin says he's tried to blank out the 2012 season. But deep down, I think he understands what happened. What could have been? And he can't quite seem to get those thoughts out of his head. Literally, it, it could have been, you know, something really special. It was, it was crazy because <laughs> there's a fine line of it working, not, you know, not working. And it uh, obviously didn't, but it was, it, it could, it could have, it really could have been something special. Next time on Uncovering the Birds, sometimes a new player will show up and say something, and it takes on a life of its own. Carrie Williams has been there. The reason why a lot of times I struggled with attitude, I struggled with anger, was because of my circumstances that I live with, man. My mother was on drugs, man. She still is. For 38 years, I've been living with that. It hurts. That episode comes out Friday, May 12th. This is Uncovering the Birds, sponsored by Wawa a production of the Philadelphia Inquirer and KYW News Radio original podcasts. Our producer is KYW News Radio's Brian Seltzer. Tom Rickert is KYW News Radio's director of podcasting. The executive producer from the Philadelphia Inquirer is Renee Eiffel. Special thanks to Sports Radio 94 WIP, ESPN, and David Reed. 
Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Please just tell one person about the pod to help us spread the word or tell any Eagles fan you know that wants to hear untold stories about their team. You can also leave us a review or a rating like TL3101 did on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for the feedback. You can listen to episodes of Uncovering the Birds free on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts, or go to inquire.com slash podcast. I'm Jeff McLean. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff underscore McLean, or find me on Facebook or Instagram, or just read my stories at inquire.com. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, it's Dave Uram from Philadelphia's Morning News. Do you think you're one of Philadelphia's biggest sports fans? Do you know someone who has a great story about their fandom? Well, we want to tell these stories in our Philadelphia Sports Fan of the Week series. Hit us up at kywnewsradio.com slash fans.